Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Every day, in every newsroom around the world, there's a meeting to decide what leads the news, what follows, and in what order. It's often argumentative and occasionally it's heated, but it's always about picking which stories matter most. And in all the years that I've worked as a journalist, whether as the editor of The Times, the director of BBC News, or now as editor at Tortoise, I've been in countless of these news meetings, and all of them behind closed doors. But in this podcast, we're flinging those doors open, and you'll get to hear those arguments for yourself as three journalists each pitch the story that they think mattered most this week. And at the end of each episode... I'll pick which one comes out on top, what follows, and in what order. I'm James Harding, and from Podimo and Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting. So here we are, episode one of the news meeting, the first meeting of the news meeting, and I'm joined by three of my colleagues here at Tortoise. Kat Nealon is our political editor. Hello. Uh, Dave Taylor is an editor. I used to work with him at The Times. He used to work at The Guardian too, both actually in the US uh, and here in the UK. Dave, hello. Hi. And Liz Mosley is also an editor here at Tortoise. Drum roll. In a former life, she published Heat magazine. You're welcome, James. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> of course, this is a little different to a normal news meeting in that you've each only brought one story. And let's face it, news meetings are often not that neat. Sometimes you've got a whole slew of great stories and sometimes the cupboard's bare. You've got nothing at all. But Kat, Dave and Liz, I hope you're going to pitch one each. And together then we're going to try and figure out what we really know about each story, what we think it means, where we think it goes, and how much it matters. So before we get stuck in, here's a quick reminder of some of the stories of this week. The smallest nation to have hosted football's greatest competition has faced some big questions. Today I feel uh, Qatari. I'm not the Grinch. Today I feel Arab. This tragedy has shone a light on uh, what needs to change in social housing. The biggest political uh, constitutional moment here in Scotland in very many years. Today I feel uh, gay. Our independence movement also becomes Scotland's democracy movement. Today I feel uh, a migrant worker. You don't get to be a billionaire by being a nice guy. So there's been a fair bit happening this week, but what do each of you think has mattered most? 
Let's start with long story short. In a single sentence, Kat, what have you picked? Uh, candles at the ready. It's time for state-imposed hygge. <laughs> state-imposed hygge? Yeah. Hygge. 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 Huggy, huggy. <laughs> Who knows what it is? Either that's an advertisement for a set of new Christmas toys it's, or it's a trip into We're importing Danish... Scandi Noir into the UK. Terrific. OK. Dave? I want to pitch a story that comes with its own slogan that sounds like a tagline from a really bad movie poster. Expect amazing. Ooh, deliciously upbeat. Liz? Can a Disney hero save America? <laughs> Always, yes. <laughs> go directly to Thanksgiving movie. Do not yeah. pass go. Hallmark, <laughs> we're Fantastic. Here. All right, Kat, why don't we start then with you? Um, what do you mean candles at the ready? So this is something we've been talking about for a while. It's the long-awaited winter of discontent. It's finally here. Um, we've got a huge wave of problems heading our way. Um, sort of inflation at 11%, obviously more with some kind of food um, shortages of food turkey shortages you know I was chatting to someone upstairs who was saying his wife can't get the Christmas turkey we've got egg shortages and if people haven't been stocking up with candles then there might be a candle shortage soon because this week we also saw the National Grid issue its first warning about tight electricity margins saying that there was going to be a potential shortage of power from 7pm. That was on Tuesday. It then rode that back. We've got schools striking in Scotland, rail strikes uh, coming up and the postal strike. Um, nurses expected to strike before the end of the year. Um, I think having spoken to some local teachers that there are going to be uh, strikes in schools in England as well. Civil servants, telecoms, the only thing that we seem to be missing off the list is graveyard diggers and then we'll be right back in the 70s. But, but the point is what? That essentially inflation is biting, you've got people striking because of the cost of living, yep. but you've also got the consumer in the cost of living, i.e. you can't afford things, you can't afford to go and yeah, it's just buy your Christmas. Yeah, it's this mess of problems that's kind of heading our way as it has been all year in that kind of slow Austin Powers no kind of moment you can see it coming a mile off and it's just finally got here and do we know Kat whether or not because people have been talking about a winter of discontent they've been talking about a season of discontent mm -hmm. really since February since the invasion of Ukraine yeah do you think that something clearly has happened here in terms of strikes and labor unrest because you could say that actually we've been warned of a lot of this week in week out for the last couple of months Actually, people have shown quite a resilience to tube strikes, rail strikes, now the odd teacher's strike. What's different this week? It's coming to a head because you can't work from home if you don't have the power. And also the cost of heating your home is getting increasingly out of kilter. This is a winter of discontent for us. It might be painful, hopefully most people will get through it you know obviously people are talking about food bank usage and so on going up and, and not being able you know choosing between heating and eating is the line that we've heard for, for many months now um, but the real problem is for Rishi Sunak going into the local elections next year after a terrible winter and 
people are already sort of out with their knives saying he could go from that point. I I want to ask Liz and Dave what you think about this story in one second, but there's the element you touch on, which is I think the one that's not getting as much play, but I suspect will, is the Labour side of this. Because I've been quite interested in the extent to which people are focused on Sunak and the Conservative Party, but no one seems to have really turned attention on Labour, and I can't see... What you do if you're Keir Starmer, you lose your core supporters if you side with the strikers mm-hmm. and you presumably in that process, oh, so if you don't side with the strikers and if you do side with them, you lose your marginal voter, you lose your wavering voter. So it's not clear what Starmer does, right? Yeah, no, and I've been trying to get an answer out of them because, of course, last time there was a, a sort of run of strikes, um, front Labour front benches were told not to and one of them did did lose his job. Um, I think that things will be relaxed and obviously, you know, you've got Labour MPs who have been and continue to be in a kind of reserve basis nurses. Um, it, I can't see them not joining Picket lines. The picket lines. Yeah. So when you say thing, your expectation, Kat, is that it'll be relaxed in the sense that Keir Starmer will say, we're going to have a looser position on Labour MPs backing strikes and picket lines. I think it will have to be slightly looser, but I think that any um, any real sort of position on it will be attacked by, by Conservatives. And that's why they're playing it very carefully. And we, you know, we've seen it quite a lot with um, with Brexit, which we've talked about before, that, you know, Keir Starmer is sort of a bit scared of doing the wrong thing. I think he will find it difficult to sort of not take a position on this. Dave, what do you think of this? I mean, it's the thing for Keir Starmer that what he has to do is win the election, right? So it's not about... Um, getting the language right to appease his base or to appeal to a a new coalition of voters. It's not falling into the trap which could be set for him. Presumably, Conservatives want to run the next general election saying that, you know, Starmer would take Labour, take Britain back to the 70s, Mm. Starmer would take Britain back into Europe. And it seems to me that, you know, they're, they're the two things he has to avoid. And it is probably helpful I would have thought to him that um, most uh, most members of the public or the workforce seem to be highly sympathetic towards people taking industrial action at the moment because everybody's feeling the cost of living and that seems to be what sets it apart from the 70s right? Yeah I do think it is very different to the 70s I don't think people think of of people who are striking in the same way as as they did under Thatcher. And I think this is the big mistake. It's a mistake that Liz Truss made and it's a mistake that Rishi Sunak is making in that it's not sort of the people versus Arthur Scargill. It's people seeing the long-term impacts of austerity on professions that look after their children, look after their sick relatives. Liz, what do you think? I think in terms of the package of things in that in that story um, and whether it will stick to um, a sort of political outcome come the spring, you can explain away largely eggs and turkeys down to avian flu. We didn't do that to ourselves. There's an element of energy which you can just go blah, blah, Ukraine. We didn't do that to ourselves. So I think it does come down to inflation strikes. It's the pointy bit. Mm-hmm. I guess the question about whether Starmer can get a grip on it is is the extent to which he can be successful in saying 
presenting austerity as a choice rather than a necessity. At the moment, there's nothing to fill that gap. And I agree with David that the, the sympathy for big groups of people who by and large look after other groups of people and are feeling the pinch on their monthly you know, household budgets is high. And if you can turn that mm-hmm. sympathy into and they're and they're just being walloped again and they don't need to be then I think you're in a really powerful position but how can you do that I don't know I I think we're slightly I know obviously we want to talk about Labour because it's looking increasing likely that they will be the next government but for Rishi Sunak's immediate problem which is the same as Liz Truss's immediate problem it's not even the voters necessarily it's the MPs the Conservative MPs and the looming shadow over all of this is Boris Johnson the return yeah all right no, we'll come to that we'll come to that record. I think we can I don't think we'll do that this this very first news <laughs> so I think Dave but I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm going to sort of double down on your Scandinavian so after the smorgasbord of miserable <laughs> did you there? Yep. Um, let's turn to uh, Dave who I like this new system we've got. We do the headline before we've actually got the story. Expect Amazing. Expect Amazing. So 13 years ago, Expect Amazing was the slogan on the front of the brochure for Qatar's World Cup bid. And here we are. And I actually think Qatar's living up to the promise. It's just (laughs) not quite in the way either they or FIFA hoped. And so I think the story of the tournament so far is about the collision of sport and politics and protest and I think it's the biggest story of the week because it's happening in front of the biggest audience in the world and it's as dynamic and unpredictable as any great sporting contest might be. So, you know, to recap, FIFA and Qatar have sort of lost a bit of control over the tournament. It's possible that, you know, coverage of football and the attitudes of fans might not be the same after this, but we don't really know how much everything's going to change. But I suppose the things to note are that so far we've had more talk about migrant workers and gay rights and women's rights and sustainability often than than there has been about groin strains in the offside rule, you know, um, (laughs) VAR. There's a um, Venn diagram there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We had, even though FIFA tried to suspend top players from wearing the One Love armbands, the German team had a symbolic silent protest but it was really it was the Iranians and their supporters I think that have been the the moment of the the tournament so far you know they brought the the street protests to a global audience and you know they were led by their captain Eshan Hajsafi who um, plays for plays in Europe with AEK Athens he led his he, he gave an amazing press conference pre-match where he talked about you know the scale of the issues back at home in in a really honest and surprising way, and then his and then he led his team um, in refusing to sing the national anthem when they lined up with England, and it it already just made you think um, there is a moment of solidarity here that will be remembered long after whoever scores the winning goal in the final. And are we sure about that? Are we sure that essentially Western media coverage? plays back to the West this version of the World Cup and for the vast majority of the world they see football or they see Saudis and Qataris standing shoulder to shoulder. They see countries that they thought might win, Argentina, Germany losing, that actually we are convincing ourselves of a view of the world but that's not what the rest of the world is seeing. You know, I mean I think it's 
certainly true that people are ultimately going to get excited about the sport because it's it it's having its usual sort of mix of great upsets and and moments of drama even in the first few days so it's it seems acceptable to somehow compartmentalize and say we can still appreciate the spectacle but i think what you're seeing you know if you think back to when you know on the same day russia and qatar won the right to host the world cup the the journalism really failed there was no there was no great scrutiny of the decisions in the moment and it felt like you know that people were concerned about well it'll be too hot and they've got no football culture but they didn't they didn't talk about you know the risk of corruption at least in the first place. I'm really interested in that because I think that there's a reach for journalism to say, well, how did how did quote unquote, we allow that to happen? Mm-hmm. How did scrutiny mm-hmm. not uh, meet that decision? But isn't the issue there? Because we've been scratching our heads trying to work out, well, who makes the decision? Who oversees the decision? Who, if you like, acts as a check or a guardian on it? And the reality is FIFA is not accountable to a government. There's not a governance of FIFA that you know, is worthy of that name. So it feels so the only people you could really, if you like, go after or challenge are the advertisers, the marketing directors who sustain FIFA. Mm -hmm. But even they have got a kicking this week. You know, even Budweiser has been told, well, we're not serving your beer. And when they tweeted out, I think it was, this is awkward, (laughs) they then deleted their tweet. You know, so I wonder whether or not we're looking at something that's different from the story we'd love to be looking at rather than a kind of hero standing up for values actually we're looking at the rise of another great unaccountable powerful body in the world i i suppose pathetic optimist that i am i would say surely never again will a tournament an olympics or a world cup be awarded to a nation without scrutiny and transparency fifa are completely unapologetic and 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 if you say there's there's no comeback, then w- why would they? You know, well, they get a few negative headlines for a while. So what? Liz, what do you think? I don't know what the alternative is to a FIFA. I can only imagine that if there was an alternative power base, it would have to come from the people who play in the teams. I mean, is that what it is? You just say, well, we're not going to come to the World Cup then. I mean, is there and not then, some n- kind n- of no going to do that? Are they? or some kind of independent? I don't. I mean, I don't know enough about. FIFA to know how it's structured, but if you you feel like there's enough money, they could just say, well, we'll set up this little side bit. The issue with sort of expect amazing as a lead story is it's sort of everything. It's this week the World Cup happened in Qatar, and there's been a global controversy about values versus football, politics, and sport. If if you were forced to write the lead of that story, what what do you nose in on? I mean, the, I think the line that I want to really follow is what happens to Iran's captain at the end of the World Cup. So I think there's a there's an amazing human drama with that team. We, we're yet to see um, whether we've we've already witnessed the ultimate sort of um, symbolic expression of courage in in this tournament. You know, it it may be that it's still to come. But I think watching what happens to them is is a big drama through which to tell everything and I do think from a um, you know whilst we've all sort of wrung our hands and had a bit of a repeat of the conversation I had with my wife on the eve of the tournament where we all just thought this is terrible we shouldn't even be watching it Um, but the reality is that um, conversations are happening that are 
putting those people on the spot already and that seems to be like the beginning of change so a human story to get you into the everything let's take a break and then we're going to come back with liz's story and decide what leads and what follows selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage shopify is there to help you grow shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/work. shopify.com/work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Liz, <laughs> Disney hero, I'm really hoping that we're going to be talking about Buzz Lightyear, one of my <laughs> pub quiz In many uh, ways. subjects. Yes. Now, I've realised I've given myself a bit of a mountain to climb because the subhead to my story is man you've probably never heard of returns to a company you don't care about. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give it a good go um, because I, I do think this is a... a, a a big story and, and bigger than a business story. So so Bob Iger is the dude and he's the kind of legendary former CEO of Disney. He was the guy that brought in Marvel and Pixar and Star Wars into the Disney umbrella. 15 years he was in post. Start the pandemic, he goes, new guy comes in. This week it's been announced in a surprise move, he's been reappointed to his old job. So Bob Chapek, who was in the Iger sandwich now, has been given the heave-ho and, and Bob Iger's back at the top. So it's a big business story, partly just because CEOs don't go back. I mean, apart from Steve Jobs, nobody goes back. So it, just from that perspective, it's interesting. But it's the circumstances in which his predecessor, Chapek, uh, um, sort of was finished off that makes this a story that's bigger than just a business, a business story. Because... Um, if you think of Disney, uh, you think of Florida. And if you think of Florida, you also think of republicanism. And it's the kind of, if DeSantis in Florida is the lightning rod for the Republican run into 2024, if, then Disney could be this, the storm. So we're picking up on some of the things we were talking about in Dave's story too, about the power of big corporations and the sort of political disposition of those kinds of um, organisations that have platform and influence. What happened was this. Uh, Ron DeSantis um, just obviously swept the board in Florida, um, was trying to pass... Uh, legislation that became so the shorthand for it was don't say gay it was a piece of legislation that was saying that you couldn't talk about um, 
homosexual and other forms of LGBT type relationships to kids before grade three in, in American schools. So that's, hold on, let me just get this right. Yeah. So Ron DeSantis, Republican governor of Florida, yeah. is running for re-election. Yeah. And the don't say gay rule was... Sorry, grade three your, is how, how old is that? Up to what age? Eight. Uh, yeah, eight to nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're not allowed to talk about it in school. That was, in the, that school, was the law he that was trying was to the, push through. Exactly. And so, and by the way, sorry, were, were people talking about gay sex to four, five, six, seven, eight it's year about, olds? It was about gay families. You weren't allowed to talk about the fact that families can be different shapes. Oh, so, I see. but obviously, in the sort of you know the, the, the commentary about why that's terrible is because you are sexualizing four-year-olds that's the sort of that's the narrative correct um and so bob shapek at the time ceo of disney um did not um oppose the legislation now you may remember in 2016 there was an awful incident shooting in a, a, a club called pulse club where nearly 50 people were killed two of them were disney employees disney has a very strong lgbt power base within its staff and a not so secret gay agenda um and um all for the good to Let my mind go. yeah exactly and um and so this stuff hits hard in disney and the staff of disney um were very dismayed that their ceo had failed to just kind of condemn or oppose the legislation being passed in their home state and Interestingly, Iger tweeted from the sidelines, I'm sorry, I'm with the president on this. This legislation will harm children. So it became a very difficult kind of culture war position. I, I'm with the president. I, I'm with Biden. Yeah. I'm taking on DeSantis. Yeah. And in fact, I'm taking on Chapik's silence on this. Yeah. I'm taking on anybody who wants to come for LGBT rights in America. So it was a very explicit kind of political move, very uncomfortable if you're Bob Chapek, who, by the way, Bob Iger's your chair, you know, quite uncomfortable position. So these are the circumstances in which really, in spite, I mean, Chapek had a difficult time because it's the pandemic, he runs the parks, that's obviously a nightmare. He's launched Disney Plus, on the outside, very popular, but it's lost nine billion quid so far and counting, you know. So, so he's had a difficult time commercially, but really it was this culture war moment that did for him. And the reason why I think um, it becomes a much bigger story than just the kind of back and forth is because DeSantis showed his teeth very clearly when Disney, you know, in the end came out and said, we're not good, we're not okay with this, which they did after, you know, too late, um, by revoking what they call Reedy Creek, which is Disney basically runs a whole big chunk of Florida. It can do what it wants. It has the canals, it does the power. It was a sort of separate entity almost like a state of its own and DeSantis said fine I'll have that back thanks very much we're going to control it now so really sort of material and meaty show of power that was trying to redraw the lines now this is my favorite detail almost of the whole story guess where Ron DeSantis got married Disney World <laughs> welcome <laughs> for that detail um, so, uh, so, uh, so I mean, this is cheating, Liz, of course, because you know I'm completely fascinated by stories like this. When I was at the FT, we used to have a thing which was, uh, it was midnight in the boardroom, which if you've worked at the Financial Times trying to get anything that feels like drama well, is, a, is a stretch. But it was midnight in the boardroom means how do you tell those human drama stories when most of the time it's, you know, the Disney share price closed up 3.5% yeah, yesterday. Yeah. The thing that's interesting to me about the Florida problem for Disney is there's a bigger issue which is how do companies behave when they get involved in 
culture wars or public impact questions. And I'm not sure what you do if you're Disney, mm. because as I understand it, what Chapek's theory was, at least as this thing began to bubble up, was this is an elephant trap. If we step in and take sides, DeSantis is going to hit Disney and use us as the sort of battering ram of anti-woke Republican politics and possibly damage us commercially. Right? And more importantly, we, Disney, think that we are one of the few places and, if you like, creative spaces in America that brings people both red and blue, Republican and Democrat together. So I've got some sympathy with Chapek saying, look, I'm, I'm trying to go hedge quietly my here. Yeah. Dave, you lived and worked there. What do you think's going on? It's sort of stunning that he's picked a fight with the biggest business in his state, and it's sort of amazing that the Republican base has lost trust in seemingly every institution, um, maybe apart from the armed forces, uh, to such an extent that they feel that this is a vote winner, that you you, you bash them, as you say, and make that, that your... And what's going on with that? That's the bit of it that I find really confusing is the repoliticization of gay rights mm -hmm. in that, you know, when I was a teenager in Margaret Thatcher's Britain, there were huge debates around this. By the time I went to go work as a reporter in the States, you know, and in Bill Clinton's America, there was another phase and wave of thinking about this. Barack Obama moved to you know, legalise gay marriage within the course of two terms as president. It felt as though all of this was going in one direction. And I don't understand exactly the politics of why it feels as though it's come back. And maybe I'm wrong in thinking it's come back, but I don't know. Liz, do you think I it's think it's definitely Christian come back. Right? It's and the Christian right, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Why? It's the reaction to precisely that. Progression was too quick for them. So before um, I try and to the end of my pencil and decide which one I think should lead the news, which comes second and which third. You, you each, by the way, can't choose your own story, which, of course, <laughs> is unlike any news meeting, because in any news meeting, all you would do is choose your own story. <laughs> but um, why don't we go around and say which one would you choose? Kat, you go first. I'm really torn, but I am going to go with Dave because um, I share your optimism and I think it would be nice whilst we're sitting around our candles in our enormous jumpers to have something positive to read. So I'm going to go with um, Amazing Everything and the story of the Iranian protests. Dave? And the only thing I would say to counter that ever so slightly is that there's a lot of jeopardy in that story and it might not be a good news story in the end, but it's a really good one, important one, I think. I would commission um, Disney versus DeSantis. Uh, I think it's it's a a really accessible way of talking about so many of these things as you've said about corporate responsibility to the wider world and their workers and um, and how politicians manipulate people um, by you know manipulating language and power really um, clearly the cost of living story is the one that everyone in the UK and in a lot of countries around the world is living with and it feels um, urgent and pressing. I'm not quite sure what our news line is. Liz? Uh, partly to um, even the score, and partly because on point of principle, I'll never choose a sports story. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pick Cat's story um, because I, I am genuine. If somebody could put in front of me 
a, a really well thought out, clever articulation of what does Keir Starmer do now, then I would absolutely read that to the end. I think the third story is Winter of Discontent. And the reason for that is, Kat, I think that it's not clear what the line is and it's not clear what the killer development this week is. Uh, and the criticism of news is always that we lurch for events and we can't somehow recognise creeping developments. But I think in the last few weeks, you'd have to say the news has recognised massive financial crisis caused by, you know, political folly, uh, recognised the scale of inflation, seen what's coming in terms of strikes and cost of living. And I don't think we've had something that's really milestone this week. I'm really torn between Dave and Liz's stories, partly because we don't have enough stories of heroism that lead the news. And we can be too miserablest at a time when things are too miserable. But for that reason, you're going to be surprised that I would I'm going to choose Liz's story and Bob Iger to lead and yes. uh, FIFA <laughs> second. But I'll just explain why. I think that actually, to my mind, the World Cup in Qatar is so far a story of near heroism. As a viewer, I'm excited and impressed by the German team putting their hands over their mouths and talking about being gagged. I'm amazed and and in awe, really, of the Iranian captain and that team, but I don't fully understand it yet. I don't know why you've got Iranian fans who think that actually the team hasn't yet done enough. I don't know how that plays back in Iran, and I'm fearful, it's a nervousness, if anything, that you propel a story that you don't properly understand to the top because you think, this is what I want it to mean, but you haven't really yet understood what it does. Whereas the Iger and Disney story, I like partly because it looks like the kind of story that runs in the business section, but is really a story about leadership and culture and corporate power. It is clearly a clash between, you know, uh, politics and the boardroom. But there's also something that I'm coming to love about news, certainly in 2022, when things seem so complicated, that there are certain stories that are also really simple, right? So the Liz Trust quasi quarting story is a story that you can tell your kids, which is, it's a good idea to listen to people who don't agree with you. Listen, right? And the Bob Chapek, Bob Iger story is, if you inherit a company from someone who's run it very successfully, don't be rude about them and trash everything that they've done in the last 15 years because they'll come back to get you. And that <laughs> seems to me to be part of the lesson of the Bob Iger return to. So for that reason, this week, leading the news, Bob Iger at Disney, story number two, expect amazing and the near heroism at FIFA, uh, or not FIFA, <laughs> at, uh, in Qatar. Uh, and, and third and finally, uh, cost of living keeps on creeping and nibbling away or even biting away at life in Britain. Well, that's it for this week's news meeting. Thank you to Kat Nealon, to Dave Taylor and to Liz Mosley for bringing their stories and to you for listening. Who knows what the next week is going to throw at us, but whatever it is, we're going to be back, three more journalists, and all trying to convince me that they've got the story that mattered most. Join us for the news meeting. can't believe I won. Do I get a badge? Yes, you get a badge. A rosette. <laughs>
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.